Welcome to What That Means with Camille, companion episodes to the Cybersecurity Inside podcast. In this series, Camille asks top technical experts to explain, in plain English, commonly used terms in their field, then dives deeper, giving you insights into the hottest topics and arguments they face. Get the definition directly from those who are defining it. Now, here is Camille Moorhart. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Cybersecurity Inside. Today, we're going to do what that means, federated learning. And I'm really interested in this topic. I have with me today Olga Perpelkina, who's a product manager at Intel for Federated Learning, and she's doing some really amazing work. She's joining from uh, Moscow, actually, right now in Russia, so interesting uh, cross-globe, and uh, she has a PhD from Moscow State University in clinical psychology, and she also has a master's in computer science. We're going to get the definition from her and then dig a little deeper, specifically into the open source platform that she's worked on, as well as look at the application in healthcare that she helped drive. Welcome to the show, Olga. Thank you, Camilla, for this introduction. Nice to meet you. It is really nice to meet you. Before we even get into the definition of federated learning, can you start by just telling us why it matters? What's kind of the human side? What It's pretty new. So... 10 years from now, when we've worked through all the kinks we're about to talk about, how do you envision this changing the world? Oh, this is a very good question. Uh, So I think we can dramatically improve AI in healthcare. Right now, we have only about 10 or 20 FDA cleared models. Not so many, right? Because it's still very complicated and very expensive, and not so many companies can do it. But uh, when they can use federated learning, we can dramatically change uh, this situation because in general, we have a lot of data in in the world, right? But uh, at the same time, we have a lot of concerns of using this data, not only GDPR or HIPAA compliant stuff, but also, for example, in um, areas like face recognition or emotion recognition, people uh, don't want to share the information because they afraid of doing that. Or for example, such uh, scandals or conflicts in uh, Facebook, for example, when uh, people became aware that their personal information uh, is being used for ad technologies, right? Uh, They don't want to do it. But as a researchers, we want to use these models, right? To improve products, to build new technologies, completely new, new technologies. But at the same time, we need to protect private information of people. And federated learning can help to do that, uh, to provide access to data and to protect privacy of people. And I think this is very clear why we should do it. Really, really interesting. Do you think you can give us just a couple minute definition of what federated learning is, why it exists? So in general, what is federated learning? We don't need to collect all the data centrally, we can train it locally and uh, send only model updates, only weights, for example, of, of the model to one uh, server that is called aggregation server. So in federated learning, we keep data private on local devices when it was born. 
And we only send updates of the model to one server and aggregate this model and then send this aggregated uh, model back to uh, local devices. For, for example, collaborators that participate in uh, this federation, they will get more advanced model because this model saw different examples, but we do not collect this data uh, in central server, right? So we do not go beyond like some privacy. We do not, um, how to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I think I understand what you mean. So traditionally, I mean, I don't know if there is a traditional when it comes to machine learning or deep learning, but I guess tr before 2016 or 17, we used to have the data that was being collected from, in this case, since we're talking about healthcare, from patients would need to be sent to a central server where the central model then updates all of the data from people. The problem is privacy then, or the privacy concern that patient data is being sent somewhere else. So you're saying federated learning kind of reverses this and the data stays local to wherever the patient is. Um, and instead the model itself ships out to wherever the patient is and the only data that gets shipped back to the model are updates that you know, the individual, I guess we'll just say patients for now, are sending back. So that's interesting to me because you're leaving the data local. So I expect when you're dealing with Europe and GDPR privacy laws and I guess other privacy laws in other parts of the world, HIPAA, for example, in the United States, you're removing that problem of having the patient data sent around. What about the problem that you're then introducing of shipping the model out? So now the model's distributed all over the place. So do you have IP concerns or security concerns about anybody targeting the model itself through a you know, remote or distributed collaborator or node? Uh, so that, that's correct. So in uh, in classical way, in vanilla federated learning, uh, we still have some uh, IP concerns, IP issues. So in classical federated learning, any of the participants can steal the model, right? It's a, a huge issue in medical applications. So, uh, for example, when some uh, organization would like to develop such model, it's super expensive. Usually they pay uh, money for data collection, for annotation and for model development itself. Uh, and they also need to have this FDA clearance to approve uh, this model to be used in healthcare. Hmm. And this is highly expensive uh, process. And they would like to protect the model that is uh, being developed. And in a classical approach, it's really complicated because every participant can save the model and use it, for example, in their startup, <laughs> right? And uh, this is a huge challenge with the IP protection of the model. Intel's technologies like SGX for hardware and IceLake can potentially solve this problem. And uh, in uh, our team in Intel, uh, we work uh, on this problem with integration of federated learning with uh, such hardware. Okay, so in, in some cases, you're integrating hardware into the security of federated learning. In, in this case, uh, this problem of uh, protection of the model uh, will be solved. Okay. There's so much I want to ask. I know that you're also uh, doing open source, which is also new in federated learning, is it not? Not new. Actually, there are some uh, existing open source projects in federated learning, so federated learning actually is a completely new uh, area of research in machine learning. And even 
some professionals in uh, machine learning do not aware about federated learning approach. And uh, so since it was uh, proposed only several years ago in 2017, and there are some existing projects in federated learning, uh, and Intel also is developing open source platform, which is called OpenFL, Open Federated Learning. This project was born several months ago. Probably I should start with the research project. After Google uh, has proposed federated learning for mobile phone usage, Intel also started uh, to do this research in medical imaging. And uh, Intel Labs, in collaboration with the University of Pennsylvania, with UPenn, has developed new approach in medical imaging with federated learning. And we published a nature paper a couple of years ago. Uh, it was the first paper in medical imaging uh, with federated learning. In this paper, uh, we compared several collaborative learning approaches. So for example, federated learning versus uh, different collaborative machine learning approaches like institutional incremental learning or cyclic institutional incremental learning. What does it mean? So in federated learning, uh, we train models in parallel. And in these two other approaches, uh, we do it sequentially, so not in parallel. Uh, we compared federated learning with centralized learning and with the two different collaborative learning approaches. And we showed that federated learning performed better. The task was uh, brain tumor segmentation based on MRI scans. How many different medical facilities were involved in that? Ten institutions. Are they all around the world or were they just in Russia and the United States? Uh, it, not Russia. Uh, it was in the United States. Okay. Different areas of United States, yeah. <laughs> and uh, after that, Interlabs developed a proof of concept of uh, federated learning and medical imaging. And then Intel decided to make an open source library based on this research. Now we have OpenFL. Uh, OpenFL is a Python library. Uh, it can work uh, with different hardware, so it, it is hardware agnostic. It can work with uh, GPU, CPU, uh, and it also uh, can work with different deep learning frameworks like PyTorch, Keras, TensorFlow. Now we have several releases of this library already. So uh, first of all, you can, you can go to our GitHub repository and have it from there. Also, we have Docker image for this library, and you can use it uh, in, in your research or even in production. And I assume you can use it in contexts outside of medical imaging. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, basically, it uh, works better for computer vision applications or even for NLP, for text. NLP, processing. natural language processing. Natural mm -hmm. language processes. So, but first of all, it, it can be used for deep learning. So can you tell me a little bit more about how this original study worked um, that you, we have the link for it, of course, below to the paper, but you were doing the brain scanning segmentation uh, off of the MRI machines. You were actually sending the model to the patients and then they were making updates locally and then re-aggregating that. Can you kind of walk through what happens in that scenario? In federated learning, we have different participants, collaborators or medical sites or institutions in which we uh, collect data and annotate them. And we have one aggregator or model owner uh, who will get this model. 
so in uh, clinical sites, first of all, we, we annotate the data, we, we make it. When you say we annotate the data, you said it's off MRI scan. So what's being annotated and who's doing that? So uh, usually uh, the data is annotated by professionals, by neurologists, uh, by medical doctors. In uh, centralized training, uh, usually people who want to build this model, they pay money for that uh, and they provide some instructions for annotation uh, to make it consistent, right? They can check the quality of annotation process. In federated learning, uh, we still have some problems with that because People who will create this uh, model, they can't directly observe the quality of annotation. Uh, and this is one more major issue and uh, challenge for federated learning. And we also try to solve it in our, in our product. Uh, just to extrapolate, I guess, from that, then you either, like in the case of Google, when they were looking at phones, you either need so many different collaborator nodes that you can cancel out kind of any any of the tail ends, right? Any, any bad annotations, I guess, will hopefully get lost because you have so much data coming in, most of it's good. Or I guess you need to be very specific about who's doing the annotations. Like in, in the case where you're talking about 10 different medical institutions, you're having neurologists do it. And I suppose even if you have sort of one bad neurologist, you've got 10 different facilities and professionals making the annotations. Would that be fair? You're either trading like quantity or, or, or you're opting for kind of quality in terms of the annotators? We haven't sold them yet. Let's imagine uh, that we have only one collaborator with very high quality data that we can check. And uh, the second scenario, when we have 10 collaborators and uh, we, we can't directly uh, review the annotation, but we trust the partners and uh, we provide uh, high quality instructions for the neurologist, how to annotate our data, how to do that in consistent way, but we can't check it. And our suggestion is that the second case is better because we will have much more data in comparison with the first case, right? Uh, right now, we can't prove that. Uh, we still need to test it more in different mm. use cases. But we believe in this uh, case that uh, if you have more data with uh, trusted or semi-trusted partners, it will be better than if you have only one node, only one institute that will provide data for you. That makes sense. I mean, that just makes sense logically. You would rather have multiple inputs than you know a single input for any kind of, to avoid any kind of bias. I suppose. I would like uh, to make a disclaimer. So we do not state uh, that uh, federated learning is better than centralized learning. If you can collect all your data in one place and uh, make a centralized model to conduct classical machine learning research in centralized way, you can do it. Because in federated learning, you still have some issues. You can't uh, directly observe your data. You can't uh, experiment on that. You don't have the raw data. You're you're relying on it being updated. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And uh, in our future uh, products, uh, we will add uh, some monitoring tools to not to observe your data, but to collect some uh, statistics to help you uh, in your research and your experiments. Uh, so, uh, federated learning makes sense uh, if you have privacy issues. 
or if you have data silo problem. For example, you are a huge financial or retail industry. In this case, you may don't care about privacy, uh, but you have a lot of silos with data and uh, you have this communication efficiency problem uh, because you uh, don't want to build a central server because it's expensive. You need to have a lot of memory. Uh, you need to send uh, your data from different locations, from different countries, for example, four to one uh, central server, and then to train it uh, locally in one place. So there are two major problems that uh, federated learning can help to solve. So first is privacy, and the second, communication efficiency or data silo problem. When we're looking at it from kind of a cybersecurity perspective, where do you think that attacks are going to occur in general in federated learning? Are they going to be targeted at, well, first of all, will they be targeted? <laughs> and where are the most likely attacks going to happen? Is it going to be at the collaborator nodes or is, is it going to try to attack the model, which is, I guess, on the aggregator? So we suppose both, actually, so that attacks can be in any of the nodes of this network, right? So first of all, some untrusted partners can try to uh, steal data or to try to find some uh, leakage of data privacy. And one important uh, research topic is uh, to understand when we have aggregated model, are we sure that it still doesn't uh, have some private information from our data. One more approach to solve this is differentiation privacy. Mm -hmm. When we try to add noise to our raw data, and this is still is in research, uh, not only by us, by Interlabs, for example, but in uh, different uh, research groups. But when you add noise to your raw data, uh, the performance of your model will drop. So you asked me uh, which components can be attacked. So first of all, it can be uh, raw data, and uh, we still may have some leakage of uh, private data, private information. And uh, the second one is uh, this problem that we already discussed, IP protection of model itself. Okay. And so the IP protection of the model itself is you're saying one of the areas that you're looking at is how do you secure actually at the hardware layer uh, the model so that it can't be breached. And then at the individual nodes, you're, you don't have control over that hardware necessarily if you're the model owner because they're in distributed places. So how, are you, how do you look at securing those? So the idea is to have this hardware protection on all the participants. Oh, yeah, because uh, because people who are developing uh, this model, they really care about protection of this model because it's super expensive in medical imaging, for example, it's super expensive. And in this case, they may choose participants for this collaboration only who has this specific hardware to protect their model and the data as well. When you're choosing your model, do you have to pick one kind of homogeneous input? And I don't mean necessarily for the project you did, but in general in federated learning, does it all have to be like everybody's using the same kind of phone, everybody's using the same MRI machine, or can you have different kinds of inputs coming into the same model? This is a very good question. So let's imagine we would like to train a very good model for some healthcare problem, for example, brain tumor segmentation. What do we want? We would like that this model will perform 
very well in different conditions with different MRI scans uh, from different locations, for example, in US, in Russia, in Europe, with different populations, right, with different people. So in this case, we need very diverse data. And in this case, we absolutely would like to have different type of uh, inputs as much as possible from different locations, different populations, uh, people from different, like, I don't know, age, uh, gender, and others with uh, different possible, I don't know, diseases, right? So not only with the target diseases, but with additional ones. And also we would like to have different equipment, for example, different MRI scans. And only in this case, we believe that this model will work uh, better in new cases. Because when we have only a model that uh, that saw only local data, when, for example, we change equipment, the performance will dramatically drop, right? Uh, because we, we change a uh, major thing. And when we have this diverse data set, we believe that uh, this model will be much more generalizable uh, in this case. Well, I can obviously see it in healthcare, but I can imagine like natural language processing where you need all kinds of different accents and ages and, you know, allergies or no allergies or, you know, different kinds of things that affect it. Yeah. yeah so this is actually uh, the problem about biases in machine learning, right? So biases uh, came when we have biased data set, right? Uh, with only a representation of one type of population, for example. And federated learning also can solve this problem, can help to do that, because in this case, we have more diverse data. Hmm. So, if, you know, this is a new, relatively new field. Um, you know, we're talking like five years old or something, not even. I, I guess if you were going to give advice to grad students now, what areas of federated learning would you want them to look into? Communication efficiency. So, for example, when we have uh, right, right now, in medical imaging, when we have only 10 collaborators, our open source platform can work pretty well with them. But if we have, I don't know, hundreds or thousands of participants, we will have some specific communication issues. And uh, so this is one topic that uh, can be solved. Uh, the same with the leakage of private information from models or with protection of models. So one way to solve it is hardware, but uh, sometimes it's complicated to do. So for example, some medical institutions are not able to buy some specific hardware, but we still need to protect the model and the data. So how to solve it? Is there anything uh, else I should be asking you about federated learning? So I think that probably I should mention our first challenge in federated learning. So Interlabs and the uh, University of Pennsylvania, we host uh, the first federated learning challenge in medical imaging uh, ever. The purpose of this challenge is uh, to uh, propose new aggregation methods of the models. So in, uh, in classical way, in classical federated learning, uh, we just calculate average mean of, of the weights in the model. But we can uh, suggest more robust, more advanced ways to aggregate model weights. And the goal of this challenge is uh, to create this, uh, these new uh, aggregation mechanisms. Uh, and about 15 per, uh, teams contributed to this challenge. 
and the results of the challenge will be pretty soon. So I also will share the link about the challenge. Okay, that's really interesting. <laughs> um, can you, before we go, can you just explain what a weight is? When you're sending the weights back to the model from the collaborator nodes, what is that weight? Model weights, like model parameters. Okay. Some model parameters. So we don't send, uh, we don't send uh, uh, data, raw data, but mm -hmm. we send some model parameters. Okay. Um, Olga, thank you for your time today. It's been really interesting. And I, you know, I read your paper and I'm not a scientist, but I thought it was fascinating. Um, really interesting and actually written in a way that was pretty easy to understand, even if you're not. I may have skipped just a little bit of the coding and math part of the paper, but the rest of the paper, the layout and how everything works together uh, was very easy for me to understand. And I really appreciate that. So um, I do recommend it if anybody wants to click and read a little bit more. It's easy to grasp the way it's written down. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cybersecurity Inside. Follow at Tom M. Garrison and Camille at Morehart on Twitter to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guests and author and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Intel Corporation.